0: I know that you really came today for a word from the Lord. I mean, you're hoping that maybe God would do something in your life. But what you're really looking for is some scripture for the Bears to win the game. Am I right? So so listen, you're you're going to be in awe of the things that my team has come up with today. Now, you, you understand that sometimes you have to you have to look at different translations of the Bible to be able to. To prove your point, okay? That's what you have to do. You have to kind of like work really hard at it. So if you're in the King James Version, remember it's the King James Version of Psalm 37. It says this, I have seen the wicked great in power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. I am not kidding. Go back and look at your old grandma's Bible. The King James, it's in there. The wicked are like a green bay tree. He passed away and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Hallelujah. Do you see what I'm saying? Psalm 37. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not done. Uh, Psalm 22. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. But you, Lord, you are my strength. Come quickly to help me. And not to be one more, not to be outdone, Second Kings two twenty-three. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel, and he was walking along the road. Some boys came out of the town. They were probably from Wisconsin, and they jeered at him. And they said, get out of here, baldy. They said, get out of here, baldy. And he turned around and looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Word of the Lord, 11 at a time. That's how they mauled them. Yes, sir. our missions to we got a missions team doing building down in Mexico right now, and they wanted to make sure that all of Mexico knows where Parkview stands. That's a picture of the water tower in Piedras Negras, and they put a big C on the water tower so everybody could know. And uh, then here's your prayer, and, and I'll be done for at least a minute. Our father who art to bear hallowed be thy fame. Thy championship come, thy play be run, at home as it is away. Give us this day our Sunday win, and forgive us our turnovers, though we pounce on those who turn against us. And lead us not into fourth and long, but deliver us from the land of cheese. In the name of Ditka, Butkus, and the Holy Peyton, as it was in 1985, so it shall be in 2011, world without end, amen, go Bears. Okay, that's it, I am promise. <laughs> Um, Listen, uh, there's no illustration with him. He's just going to sit here the whole time and look at you. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Um, We're going to do baptisms after this service is over. Uh, We're actually at the end of the service. So I want to encourage you at any point during the service, you're like, you know what, I think I want to do this. Then just go back and talk to them and they'll get you signed up, especially when we hit communion. Go ahead and go back there. Whether you brought clothes or not, we've got stuff for you. At every one of our service, we've had dozens of people that have come up. Just spont, you know, with complete spontaneity and come up and said, you know what? I want to do this. I want to get baptized and uh, maybe you need to do it, too. I talked last week. We're talking about temptation. And I talked last week about how important it is to uh, die to sin and this whole symbolism of baptism being dying to sin and death. No uh, sin no longer having power over us because it's dead. That's from Romans chapter 6. I talked about Josh Hamilton's baptism and how important it was in his journey. As he finally decided to trust God in everything in his life, he united himself in, in baptism. And I wanted to just show you, I got a picture from his church. I asked his home church for a picture. That's big Josh getting baptized. He's a weenie, still had to hold his nose, but it, that's him getting baptized right there. And I wanted you guys to see that because I want to encourage you. Uh, you know what? The, the, the reason baptism came up last week is because the baptism is what happened right before these temptations that we're going to study today. It was the baptism first. And in, during the baptism, God looked down from heaven and said, hey, I'm proud of you. And I want you to know that the God wants to do that same thing for you today. He wants to open up the heavens in your life and, and, and come down and say, you know what, I'm proud of you. And you now have my power even more so living inside of you. The Spirit is living even more so because you've made this public declaration. So I want to encourage you to do it. Last week we started this series, Offer You Can Refuse. It's, uh, it's based on a, on a series by Andy Stanley in, in Atlanta. And what Andy said is that what we discover about temptation is that it affects us in three different ways. It impacts our future, it impacts our family, and it, impacts, it affects our faith. Our future, our family, and our faith. Because there's always more at stake with temptation than we think. If you think about your past, you think about the family that you grew up in, you get this, right? You, you understand how temptation affects your future. When you look back, you can see how it affects your future. You can see how it affects your family. Josh Hamilton's temptation to go out uh, to get drunk, to do cocaine, to go to a strip club, all in one night. That one night affected his future family that he hadn't even met yet. It affected his future in baseball. He got kicked out of baseball. I mean, his story is miraculous because he was able to come back from those things. But there's always more at stake than we think. In fact, I would guess that if I were to ask you, we were to have a cup of coffee and I were to ask you, what's your greatest regret in life? You would probably look back at a time when there was a temptation to do something, to take matters into your own hands, to do something that you knew was wrong, but you thought, you know what, it's no big deal. And you look back now and you realize it was a big deal. It wasn't just about then it was about from then on you may be living proof of that and your parents or someone in your family may be uh, may have fallen into temptation and you're a part of the family that was affected by that You didn't even do anything. It wasn't your decision, but because of their decision you were affected You understand how your future and how your family can be affected Okay, we get that and, and we even practiced last week talking to our temptation. Here's what we said. We said temptation you will not steal my future You will not steal my family. You will not steal my faith. I want to talk about those three things. So let's do that together. Say that with me. Temptation, you will not steal my future. You will not steal my family. And you will not steal my faith. One more time. Temptation, you will not steal my future. You will not steal my family. And you will not steal my faith. Now I want to talk about the faith part today, okay? Because the truth of the matter is, temptation is always a test of your faith and not just your self control. It's a test of your faith and not just your self-control, because your confidence in God is at stake, okay? I talked last week about the uh, snowmobiling I did over Christmas break. I talked about how I went snowmobiling for the first time across a frozen lake up in Wisconsin, Eagle River, and and it was crazy for me to think about the fact that I'm riding this giant thousand-pound piece of machinery across a frozen lake, because you screw that up once, you're in trouble, right? There's no forgiveness, And so as I'm riding across this lake, I know the report said that it was frozen. I know that everybody said that it could be trusted, but I was really nervous and I was going really fast in case it cracked. I would just keep going until I turned a corner and there was a guy with a Ford F-250 truck sitting on the ice. He had driven the truck out on the ice and he was ice fishing. And at that point, I realized, you know what? I guess this ice is really firm enough for me to stand on. It's firm enough for me to ride on. I guess I could probably jump up and down on it if I wanted to. We used to sing a hymn called Standing on the Promises of Christ My King. Some of you remember that. I'm standing, standing, standing on the promises. But the truth of the matter is, I think temptation happens a lot of times because we're not standing on the promises, we're crawling on them. We're crawling across the ice. We're, we're afraid that it's going to crack. We're afraid that God doesn't have our best interest in mind. And so we're crawling on the promises. And, and when we live that way, it's really easy for us to turn back and go back to doing it our own way. Okay? The truth is I think a lot of you might have grown up uh, with God as a category in your life. Think about this for a second. Did you grow up with God as a category in life? Like not really involved in your whole life, but he was a category. You believed in a big guy upstairs and maybe he created us and stuff. But as far as life was concerned, as long as you didn't commit any mortal sins, you didn't really include God in your life too much, right? You believe that Jesus was the son of God and that the Bible was an important book. But when it came to life stuff like money and relationships and morality and singleness or marriage or staying married or your job or parenting or just life in general, that was about you. It was about you being able to take care of your stuff. And God was out here. And maybe every once in a while you said a prayer to God who was out here to take care of the stuff that was going on in here. But really you didn't put them all together that often. And your motto was, if you want something done right, you'd better do it yourself, right? if you grew up that way, the problem is you have a really hard time with temptation because if a temptation came along and and you were tempted to take matters into your own hands and to disobey God's law and to do differently what He wanted you to do, then if God is a category out here and it's up to you to take care of yourself, then it doesn't really matter. You might as well go ahead and give in to the temptation, take the shortcut, do whatever you need to do because God's out here and He's not here. Okay? If you grew up that way, you understand this, right? And now... The end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this. I did it my way. Right? I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of been the mantra of Americans. I mean, we're all Americans here, right? Okay, I have to be careful. I have to be careful when I say that because my future son-in-law is from England, but he's not here, so we're all good, okay? And that's been really, really weird. He's thinking about having his groomsmen who are all from England wear red coats with their tuxes. I know, I know, I know. I think it's kind of funny, but I don't know if it's appropriate. Do you know, do you know by the way, I'm, just let me digress. Do you know why the British wore red coats in the Revolutionary War? Do you know that? Because when you get shot, when you got shot, that that you wouldn't be able to see that they were bleeding. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that's a true fact. It's only a flesh wound, you know, right? You couldn't tell if they were bleeding. It makes a lot of sense, right? Which explains why the Packers wear yellow pants. The same. Yeah. Where was I? We're all Americans. Yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, really, if you think about it, I mean, the U.S., you know, we're, we're, we're pull yourself up by the bootstraps people, right? We're the get or done people. That's who we are. We're gonna take care of things. We're gonna make things happen. We're movers and shakers. We're gonna take care of ourselves, okay? But the problem is, that's not how God wants to be involved in your life. God wants to be involved in the details of your life. He wants to be involved in the deals of your life and the dollars of your life. He wants to help you learn how to treat your spouse. He's interested in the way you treat your kids. And, And when there's a gap between what you want and what's really happening in your life, instead of just getting in there and getting her done and figuring out how to make it happen on your own, whether God likes it or not, breaking God's commands, what God really wants you to do is to wait for Him to take care of it. I'm here to tell you that's the way we're supposed to live. That's why God told us to call him not heavenly creator, not heavenly overseer, but dear heavenly father. Because he wants to he wants the best for us and he knows the best way for us. And we as his children, when we as his children are tempted to go against his laws and go against his commands and go against the way that he told us to live. We're just getting ourselves in trouble. God is interested in us. This is why I think Jesus had an easier time with temptation... Than we do because he understood that relationship with the father and he understood who God was and he understood who he was in God And I just want a a little advertisement for this mondi thing m-o-n-d-e-e It's a weird name, but it's a it's a system It's a program that we're coming up with We're working with some other churches to help you grow spiritually because the truth of the matter is everybody doesn't grow the same way You need to know how God wired you and who you are and then we will be able to give you resources based on your individual personality and your individual spirituality to help you to be able to grow to know God better. We're going to be unrolling that very soon, and I'm excited about it because Jesus was able to know that. Here's my point. Every time you're tempted, your faith or confidence in God is at stake, not just your self-control. When you and I decide we're gonna act anyway, we're gonna jump in any way, we're gonna make things happen, we're gonna break the rules, what we're saying is, God, I don't believe that you're strong enough, I don't believe that you're a thick enough piece of ice that I can stand on, I don't believe that you care about me, I'm gonna do it my way. My goal through this thing, through this series, is to get you to ask, could maybe God figure out how to meet my need? Is God big enough to address my loneliness? Is God big enough to address my need for intimacy? Is God big enough to address my need for professional competence? Is God big enough to take care of my family? Is God big enough to take care of my marriage? Is God really big enough? Because if you can say yes to that, then you're going to obey him. You're going to believe in him and he's going to bless you and he's going to make things work for you. If you don't trust him, then you're not going to obey him and you're not going to believe him. Am I right? Let me, let me give you an example. Maybe you're single, sitting home on Friday night without a date, and you're thinking, you know what, this really isn't working for me. I've got to find somebody somewhere. I'm getting old. My biological clock is ticking, blah, blah, blah. So maybe I ought to sleaze it up just a little bit and head out to those other places tonight and see what I can find. You know what I'm talking about. I'm thinking Tina Fey and baby mama, but that's my own problem. Whatever, okay? You're, you're thinking, maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. Maybe you're married and the marriage isn't going so great right now. And you kind of feel like that other person doesn't really love you, doesn't really understand you. And in your mind, you're thinking, you know what? I know God's out there and I know he says he cares about me. But surely there's somebody else out there who can love me and, and, and give me the things that I need like I need them and accept me for who I am. Maybe you're a student. College is around the corner and you're thinking you know what if I don't get these grades I'm not going to get the scholarships and I'm not going to get into the school that I want to go to So i'm tempted to cheat like everybody else does because I need to make sure that I get this done I need to take care of it. You see what i'm saying? What's at issue in in any one of those scenarios is not the issue. It's way bigger than that The issue is not just am I going to do these things? The issue is do I believe that god is big enough to solve this for me? Ah, come on, PT, everybody closes deals this way in our industry. Everybody fudges the numbers. Nobody stays together with the same spouse their whole life. Come on, PT, do you know what world I live in? Listen to me. I do know what world you live in. And this temptation that you're facing right now is not about you, and it's not about now. I'm the guy that has to deal with it after you screw your life up. I know these things, okay? It's not about you, and it's not about now. It's about your faith. It's about is God big enough to drop into your world and take care of you? Because if you don't trust in God, you're not going to obey Him. And if you don't obey Him, you're eventually going to stop believing in Him. Do you realize that? Some of you are proof of that. Some of you used to believe in God. You used to trust in God. But along the way, you stopped trusting in God. And you stopped obeying God. And and eventually, you stopped believing in God. And maybe you're trying to find your way back right now. Guess what? It all gets tied in together. So the temptations of Jesus... um, there are three temptations that you're not going to have. I just want to tell you that right up front, okay? You are not going to be tempted to jump off a building and see if angels catch you, okay? It's probably not going to happen unless you've been smoking something, and then that's a different temptation, okay? You are, you are not probably going to be tempted to, to be given the kingdoms of the world, okay? Unless you're on The Apprentice, that's not going to be your temptation either. You're not going to be tempted to go home and make a rock sandwich to watch the Bears game, Okay? But these temptations demonstrate for us in a beautiful way how Jesus dealt with the decision to let God run his life or to do it his own way. These were legitimate needs. In some cases, these are things promised by God. But Jesus has the temptation to take them into his own hands and do it his own way. And here's the story. Verse 1 of Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Very simple. Okay, I talked about the devil last week a little bit, how people don't believe that there really is an adversary, and that makes his battle easier. I mean, imagine you're fighting a war and you don't believe there's anybody on the other side shooting at you. Like, oh, how'd I get that hole? Now, that's the kind of way a lot of people are. Now, the problem is, some Christians take the devil thing so far; they make it so crazy, they, they've made it so crazy that the writers of Family Guy are making fun of us, and it's funny. So watch. <laughs>
1: This is Channel 5 News Texas with Duke Dillon. Howdy, Texas. I'm Duke Dillon.
0: At the top of the news tonight, authorities have called
1: off their pursuit of a fugitive Rhode Island baby who was thought to be possessed by the devil. Ah, thank God. This turn of events came after Vatican scientists announced today that the devil is not the greatest threat to salvation due to last week's discovery of the super devil. Religion reporter Dallas Houston has the story. (laughs) Thanks, Duke. Well, let me try and give you a clear picture of what we're dealing with here. Here's a photo of the devil, and here's the super devil. Now, as you can see, there are some significant differences. The super devil is at least six inches taller. Uh, He has a flying motorcycle and a jar of marmalade that we believe forces you to commit adultery.
0: Thanks a lot, Dallas. Looks like we all got something new to be afraid of. (laughs) Come on, that's funny. I I don't care. That's hilarious, okay? I I think that's hilarious. What they're making fun of are some some Christians believe that the devil does everything. You know, they get a flat tire and they're like, oh, the deflating demon has possessed my car in the name of Jesus. Come out, flat tire demon. And everything is about the devil. They can make fun of them. That's okay. That's funny. I think it's hilarious. Okay, but listen, the devil is not riding a chopper and he doesn't have a jar of adultery marmalade. Okay, but not believing in him is probably more dangerous than believing that he does. Like I quoted last week, it's like walking through an Al-Qaeda training camp with an I love the USA shirt on, okay? It's just crazy. The devil is real. The Bible tells us the devil is real. He is like a prowling, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you're a dumb cow just standing there, you're dead. Now, this first temptation is pretty fascinating to me because it doesn't even seem like a temptation, does it? He always starts with a little thing. I think the Josh Hamilton story is ironic in that Josh's big first temptation was to go do everything in one night. Usually that's not the way Satan works. Usually it's one little simple little thing. Let me just get you to do this, and then the next time I'll get you to do that. So he comes in at Jesus, and he doesn't go for the big guns right away. He comes in with the very obvious human need that Jesus has. 40 days you haven't eaten, and you're hungry, right? Why don't you turn this rock into bread? Let me just point out, This is not going to hurt anyone. There's nothing wrong with having lunch, right? Wrong. Because having lunch with the devil would have been more than just a weird scene in a Mel Gibson movie, okay? Like I said last week, there is more to the temptation than we see in the moment. Jesus knows what's going on there. He obviously can fill his own need. Jesus manufactures bread later on in his ministry. Be pretty easy for him. And there's obviously nothing wrong with eating. Okay? The question is, does God want me to? And for whatever reason, Jesus believed that God had called him on a fast to not eat. And so instead of taking matters into his own hand, he decided he was going to wait on God's timing to eat. How do we know this? Well, we know this because Jesus does a little flashback to the Old Testament to demonstrate why he's not going to listen to the devil. It's a part of a story that you may know. It's a part of the big story of the Jewish history. God brings the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They've been 400 years serving Egypt. God delivers them through a man named Moses. You've seen the movie Charlton Heston, right? You've seen the whole thing. Moses takes them out. He drowns Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. He delivers them from Egypt, and the people still don't trust in God. Even after the plagues and the parting of the sea. I mean, for crying out loud, if you walked through the Red Sea on dry land, don't you think you would be trusting of God? Don't you think you'd believe that he was strong enough? I like this cartoon somebody sent me. I know somebody tried fishing while they were in there. Some good old boy was, had a fishing pole with him. He's like, hey, I want to see what this is going to be like. But just look at that picture for a second. I mean, I know this is just a cartoon. But if they, if they actually did this, if they actually walked through the Red Sea on dry land, you would think that when they came to the Promised Land and said, God said, hey, go in here and take it over, they would have said, yeah, we could do anything. Because we saw God part the sea. We saw God do all this amazing stuff. We can do anything. But no, they get up to the promised land and they're like, Oh God, we're afraid. We don't think that you care about us. We don't think that you're big enough. We don't think that you're strong enough. I'm going to walk on the ice on all fours because I'm, I don't believe in you. And God said, You know what? All right, that's fine. I'm done with you. I'm going to leave this generation behind and I'm going to wait for the next generation to go into the promised land. And, hey, can I say this, young people? I hope you are the next generation. I hope you are the next generation that enters into the promised land, whatever that is. My generation didn't do so good. I hope your generation does better. I really do. In the meantime, God has to condition them to trust in him. So he is going to pound them over and over and over again. I can be trusted. How does he do it? Well, they're in the desert. For 40 years, okay? I've been to this desert. There is no Krispy Kreme. There are no Starbucks. There are no Mickey D's. There's no place for them to eat now. There was certain, and you gotta understand, there was two to three million of them. Can you imagine? I mean, you, you know, you think of a little group walking around now. This is two to three million people. This is the entire city limits of Chicago wandering around in the desert. Where are they gonna find food? They're not. God's going to have to provide it. Most of you learned that, you know, the Lord's Prayer. You got to that part, give us this day our daily bread. Please understand where that came from, okay? For a Jew, they got that imagery right away. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's the story. God, every day, would rain bread down from heaven. He called it manna bread from the sky and they would wake up in the morning and they would crawl out of their tent and there would be these little pieces of cake or bread or whatever it was all scattered around the ground and they would they would gather it up and they would have their sustenance for the day it literally came down from heaven and the fascinating thing about it is it did not matter what they did to try to preserve it to the next day the next day Yesterday's bread was spoiled. It would have worms in it. God made it happen They could vacuum seal it. They could freezer bag it It didn't matter what they did the next day. It was no good Why because he wanted them to get a hold of the concept that they needed their daily bread to come from god So every day they would wake up the husband and wife have a little argument, you know, whose day is it to go get the bread? No, it's your day No, it's not well, actually, it's not that. Actually, I know the women got the bread, okay, because the guys brewed the coffee. Because they're called, wait for it, Hebrews. Yes, they're Hebrews, okay. <laughs> Every day, God literally gave them their daily bread. And this went on for years. Okay, And I would imagine that probably the second day when they woke up, after they had bread the first day, I guarantee you they put some back. And the next day they looked at yesterday's bread and it was full of maggots and moldy and nasty. And they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? And they looked outside and there was bread again. And they probably did that for like a couple of weeks. And I think eventually, after 5,000 days of God bringing bread down from heaven, they probably went, you know what? I'm going to relax. I'm going to sleep well tonight because I know without a shadow of a doubt that 5,000 days in a row, God has provided my daily bread. So today, he's, tomorrow he's going to provide my daily bread. And because of this, they started to learn that God is not up there somewhere, but that God was concerned about their daily needs. Okay? After 40 years of this, the faithless ones have died off, and the next generation has come And they've grown up. I mean, these kids have grown up every day, waking up, looking outside, and seeing bread on the ground. As a matter of fact, it's going to be weird for these kids later on in life to not wake up and see bread. Because that's all they've ever known. They're so conditioned to understand this. And... And Moses is they're getting ready to go in the promised land, gathers them together. And that's this passage of scripture Jesus is referring to. And he says, look, before we go into the promised land, I want to review a couple of things with you, okay? We're getting ready to go in the promised land, and God's not going to be giving you bread anymore because you're going to farm, and you're going to have your own stuff, and you're going to have your own great stuff. And the problem I'm worried about, Moses said, when you go into the promised land, is that you're going to forget that God cares about your daily needs and that he cares about your regular stuff. It may sound familiar. One of these verses will sound familiar. Deuteronomy 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands. And he humbled you, causing you to hunger. God gave them, he gives you the reason that you need food. He caused you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had ever known before. Why did he do this? He did this, Moses said, to teach you a lesson. What's the lesson? That man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus' response to Satan. Okay, Where did he get it? From here. This is why Jesus knows that it's not just about making a, a, a rock into bread. It's about something much bigger than that. It's about the the, the word of God and trusting in, the, in God to take care of me. It was a lesson, okay? There was something more important than physical needs here. It was about your trust and your faith in God. And for 40 years, God had trained his people like this. He connected the dots between physical needs and his faithfulness so that we would learn that this is how God works. He wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. And here's what's going to happen. If you don't Moses says verse 11 be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands his laws and his decrees Otherwise when you eat Your own food and you're satisfied and you build fine houses and settle down And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied Otherwise, then what might happen is your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord Your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery I'm concerned that when you have more than you need when you can run over to Jewel and buy your own bread, that you might forget that I actually care about the everyday things that are going on. I'm concerned that you're going to forget that you can trust that what the the Lord your God has said is true. Verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power, my power, I did it my way, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you the ability to produce wealth. Saying, look, God is the source of all your needs. He caused you to be to have those needs. Are you feeling lonely? You know why that is? God put that desire inside of you. It's not good for man to be alone. That's why you need to be in a life group. That's why you need to that's why you need to have people around you. It's not good for you to be alone. You're looking for intimacy. Where did that need for intimacy come from? God created that in you. Well, God, I need to feel significance in my life. Well, who put that in you? God did. Well, God, I need you to rebuild my business like it was before. Who gave you the ability to do your business in the first place? It was God. It's always been God. He gives you the instinct. He gives you the desire so he can meet them. Those instincts are bred in you from a very early age, just like this picture. God put that in there. I'm going to bite you. He knows what you need, and he is the only one that can meet it, okay? So whenever you're tempted, like Jesus was, even if it's something that's, uh, you know that you think, well, this is no big deal, but it's outside of what God asks you to do, you're saying, God, I'm not trusting in you. I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to take, take it on myself. It's up to me to get her done. Or you can step back when that temptation comes, take a deep breath and say, temptation You're not going to steal my future, you're not going to steal my family, and you're not going to steal my faith. You're not going to steal my confidence in God, because when I quit trusting in God, I'm going to quit obeying. And when I quit obeying, it'll just be a matter of time until I quit believing. So Jesus hasn't eaten in 40 days. He has a legitimate need. Jesus could have made every excuse in the book like we do, right? He could have said, well, God... Why I thought you were you just clap for me like yesterday you were clapping for me because I got baptized You were saying you love me and you led me out to the desert and I've been eating for 40 days How come I can't eat? Why is it? Why won't you give me some food? Why are you letting the devil mess with me right now? Do you love me? Do you care? He could have said all those things, but jesus realized that the issue wasn't food The issue was will I continue to stay under the authority of my heavenly father? If my Heavenly Father says jump, I'm going to say how high. If my Heavenly Father says don't eat, I'm not going to eat. If I starve to death, I'm going to obey my Heavenly Father because I know that He won't let that happen and I know that He loves me and I know that He cares about me and I know that He can be trusted. It is written, Jesus said. It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what it's really about. It's not about a... A rock sandwich. In other words, yeah, I'm hungry. And yeah, I don't know where God is right now. But here's what I do know. It is written. The question is not, can I take care of myself? The question is, will I doubt my father? And the answer is no. It is written. God has spoken. As hungry as I am, I'm not going to abandon my fellowship with the father to meet a physical need. Psalm 19 the psalmist wrote the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. See, here's the problem. We, sometimes we look at the laws of the Lord, we look at his commands, and we think, you know what, that's so archaic. He doesn't know where I live. He doesn't know what's going on. Listen to this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It's not holding you down. It's helping your life be better. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, much more than pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey from the comb. By them, your word, Lord, is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward you know that's true because you know when you've broken his commands how it's messed up your life so let me ask you what is an area of your life where you're most tempted to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way in an irresponsible way what is it companionship intimacy progress finances profession your family God created that need in you because you're human. He knows that need is available in you. He knows that need is there for you. And you need to start seeing it a little bit differently. That's my prayer. That it's not about the weekend. It's not about the reputation. It's not about possible repercussions. It's not about financial gain or loss. It's not about closing a deal or not closing the deal. It's about your faith. What's at stake is your confidence in God and His willingness to show up. What you've got to say to your temptation is, Temptation, man shall not live by closing the deal alone. Man shall not live by a Friday night date alone. Man shall not live by working himself up the ladder alone. Man shall not live by income alone. Man shall not live by bread alone. But on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Otherwise, our life is complicated. There's more hurt. There's more regret. And when it happens again, when the temptation comes around again, you know what happens to us? We, we, we go, oh, well, there's that temptation again. And last time I didn't do so good. And maybe God's mad at me. So it probably doesn't matter. So I'm just going to do it again. And we end up in what Andy Stanley calls the death loop of never seeing God show up in your life. Maybe, maybe that's where you're at right now. You're caught in the death loop of not seeing God show up in your life. And because you're not sure you don't trust him and because you don't trust him, you don't obey him when you don't obey him, you eventually quit believing. That's why I believe one of the best habits you can get into is get up every morning or go on your lunch hour or at some point in your day, stop and get on your knees and talk to God and say, God, I believe in you. I know I messed up yesterday. I didn't obey you yesterday. I didn't obey you last week. I didn't do all the things I was supposed to, but I really do believe that you're strong enough. I really do believe that you are my Father. I really do believe that your way is the best way, and I'm going to follow you all over again. See, the the bottom line of this decision is you you can decide to go ahead and turn the rock into bread Or you can wait for God to drop it down from heaven every day for the rest of your life. It's time to let go.
1: Remember when you were five? Life was so simple and slow that even the dirt and wind had a smell to it. The Cool air would float across the freshly cut grass to fill your nose with something so familiar that it had the power to help you forget. There was no homework. It seemed like the sun would stay out until 11. You would run to the playground and play for hours. You'd make your way around the park, getting your fill of every last piece of equipment. Gotta squeeze everything you can out of this beautiful summer day. The swing? You save the swing for last. The swing is where you can take flight. Launch yourself without a care, willing to forget all the laws of physics just to feel free. Floating through the air, fearless. you, there were no consequences to this bold, beautiful act of letting go. Because you know that Dad hasn't dropped you once. He never will.
0: If you trust him... then you will obey Him and, and you'll believe in Him. And if you stop trusting in Him, then you're not going to obey Him and you're going to stop believing in Him. That's just the truth. We're going to have communion right now and it's the perfect ending to this message. As I was thinking about it. Because the truth of the matter is what communion represents for us <clears throat> is the fact that God took care of our greatest need. I mean, ask yourself, what, what is the greatest need you have as a human being? And the answer is salvation. I mean, maybe you don't know that, but the truth of the matter is you can't save yourself. We needed for God to send his son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I needed that. I, I needed salvation. And you probably needed salvation. And we all need to be saved from our sins because none of us is good enough. Mortal, venial, I don't care what kind of sin you did. You've done sin, and I've done sin, and we needed saving. And so we're getting ready to eat this bread and drink this juice, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It represents my greatest need. And if God has taken care of my greatest need, and Jesus died to take care of my greatest need, then why would I not think they could take care of all of the lesser ones? Why do I think I need to do it my own? Why do I think I need to get her done? Why do I think I need to break His commands and His rules and do it my way so that I can make sure that it goes the way I want? If I can trust Him for salvation, I should be able to trust Him in my marriage, in my family, in my dating, in my school, and my job, in my life. I should be able to trust Him in everything. And you can. So we're going to have communion right now. Maybe... Uh, Maybe you don't have Jesus as your Savior. This would be a perfect opportunity for you during communion to say, Jesus, I, I, I didn't know all this stuff. I didn't know you were there. I didn't know you cared me I, for me. I didn't know you loved me. And I do know that I need you, so forgive me for my sins. I accept you as my Lord. I accept you as my Savior. It's really that simple. Maybe you've been gone for a long time, and, and you're coming back, and you're like, okay, yeah, I, I stopped trusting, and I stopped obeying, and I even stopped believing a little bit, but I'm back. Maybe for all of us, we just spend a moment and think about this? Think about what this means. This is the greatest gift for the greatest need that you've ever had. And that means he's going to take care of everything else. Maybe you need to get baptized. Uh, I would encourage you, to just as soon as I pray, just go back and get lined up, start talking to people because we're going to do baptisms after this is over. And uh, and I want to invite you to come and join us because that is the first thing that people did in the Bible when they came to know Jesus, when they accepted Jesus, they immediately went and they got baptized. 3,000, the very first day of the church. You need to do that. Right now we're going to commune, we're going to give you the opportunity to participate in at least one of the sacraments, maybe a couple. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for sending your son to die for me, and I know that I would not have done that, and I know that That proves to me that you're a heavenly father like I could never be because you love the rest of your kids so much that you sacrificed one so they could be saved. And how precious it is that I'm able to be called a child of God because you adopted me into your family and the price you paid was dear. And Jesus, we thank you for your death and your burial and your resurrection. We thank you that you came to sacrifice yourself. And that perfect sacrifice is the the meaning of this bread and this blood and this juice that represents your blood. It's the perfect sacrifice that you died for us as the perfect lamb of God so that I didn't have to. And so we accept this now. There are people in this room that are accepting it maybe for the first time. They're saying, Jesus, forgive me. I need you to be my Lord and Savior. I accept you as my lord and savior people in this room they're going to get baptized they, they need to come and they need to demonstrate outwardly what's gone on in their heart and that the power of sin is dead in their life help us to understand that no temptation has seized us except what is common to man and that you are faithful you will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear that you will provide a way out under it that this is a partnership between you and us but if we'll really grab a hold of this faith issue and realize that it really is more than making bread. It really is more than fudging a number. It really is more than, than a little indiscretion. It is about our faith and confidence in you. Help us to understand that. Be with us as we commune in Jesus' name.